On a Saturday morning earlier this summer, I arrived to a small, unassuming parking lot in the middle of Orlando. I was in a neighborhood that I'm not normally in, south of downtown, whipping past car dealerships until eventually I pulled behind one, behind a car dealership, arriving to one of those office parks where it's not totally clear what's inside the facades of these buildings. That is precisely the reason why my destination is where it is. It is meant to be inside these unassuming buildings where nobody would pay it any mind. This is a very important project that I'm being invited inside of, one with massive implications for Florida's environment, and it's casually tucked away off the busy streets of Orlando. I was invited here because inside this building, part of one of the most fascinating processes of natural preservation I've ever encountered is a lab protecting, studying, and quarantining many, many specimen of an oft-overlooked part of Florida's ecosystem our coral. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, saving the coral. How a crew of scientists from all over the state are doing the impossible, making breakthroughs with coral and protecting our reefs for years to come. It is my sincere pleasure to take you into this lab to explore the everyday work that these scientists are doing and the miraculous thing happening inside their tanks. Earlier this season, I made a two-parter about mangroves in Florida, and it was only supposed to be one episode, and this episode is very similar. There is just so much to tell you about coral in Florida that I'm breaking it up into two episodes. So this is the first episode, and the next episode will come out next Monday when we talk about something very exciting that is happening with the coral that we're going to talk about today, but we'll get there next week. Now, I actually came to this episode in a unique way. Normally, I find topics that I want to write about. I reach out to a guest. We coordinate a time for me to visit or to do an interview, and we create the episode from there. But this episode actually came together in a different way. I was reached out to by Michelle Ashton, the Director of Communications for the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida. She is a listener to the show, and she suggested that possibly I should do an episode about these coral in this unique facility and I'm very glad that I followed through on it because man you guys are going to love this story the coral in here and the people I got to meet it is amazing so let's dive right in my guests this week greet me right as I step through the door they are enthusiastic and happy to see me you will be hearing from them interchangeably throughout this episode but mostly from their leader a man named Justin Zimmerman there are two younger scientists that are with him their names are Midori Mendoza and Gabrielle Valencourt these three scientists were the representative of the squishy coral friends that were waiting within they are all technically SeaWorld Orlando employees Justin is actually on the aquarium team at the park but this facility is not a SeaWorld facility it is supported by SeaWorld and Disney and Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission and several other organizations including US Fish and Wildlife Life and NOAA. You'll hear more about that later. But this place is unlike anything else that I've ever encountered. A true collaboration between many different groups, organizations, and corporations in the states. But we'll talk about that later. For now, let's meet my guests, Justin, Midori, and Gabrielle. There is sort of an entrance lobby right behind the door, but the big show is within the door to the back of the room. Inside, there is a massive room that goes all the way back with row upon row of these incredible tanks filled with water. And within that water is coral. 
Each tank contains many specimen of a specific species of coral, and there are a variety of species within here. Above these tanks, a few feet up, there are these amazing aquarium lights that have LEDs in them that can match the typical color of the sky or light that these coral would be interacting with if they were still in the ocean, no matter the depth that they're at. There is also artificial water movement in the tanks, and fish, and snails, and urchins that roam around inside with about a foot of water between the coral and the air above. Standing next to them, the surface of the water is at about your stomach, so you can really peer in and get a look at the critters below. It is a sight to behold, and as we get talking, I spend a good part of the beginning of this interview just marveling at the tanks. It is fascinating. It is such an incredible thing to see these animals being taken care of with this much specificity and this much work. As I loom above inspecting the marvelous creature below, Justin explains the basics of what exactly coral is. And when you visualize coral, you might think of the branching staghorn coral, the one that kind of looks like it's growing out and it's got these little spindly parts off of it. That's actually not the kind of coral that is in this facility. This facility has boulder-like coral, brain coral, more rounded and stone-like. You'll hear the scientists explain it a bit more, but I wanted you to visualize what we're talking about. Beautiful little multicolored orbs of aquatic life. Apologies in advance now, the facility that we are speaking in has a lot of factors in it, running water, air conditioning, and more, so the background of the interviews has a little bit of fuzz in it. You, you can hear some like hissing, it's the movement of the air, it's the movement of the waters, it's a very active facility, so you can still hear my guests crystal clear, but there's some background noise. That background noise is literally the science that we're discussing this week happening in the background. So I just wanted to warn you in advance. Okay, now here is Justin to dive deep on what coral is. People don't realize that they're animals. A lot of people think that they're just colorful rocks or plants, but they're actually yeah. an animal. It's like related to a jellyfish or a uh, anemone. They're very, their biology is amazing. They're, they've been on Earth for a long time. Unfortunately, right now in the Keys, they're very, they're very threatened right now. There's a lot of, um, a lot of coral um, death dying in the Keys, and the total coral coverage is down to around two to three percent total, and that's a fraction of what it was 20 to 30 years ago. Um, that's kind of why this project started, was these corals were dying from a disease called stony coral tissue loss disease. Mm. That started in 2014, and, and it spread from Miami down to Key West, and, and now it's all throughout the Caribbean. Um, AZA, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, realized that there's a problem, and they knew that their, their zoos and aquarists at the different aquariums had a knowledge of how to take care of coral, how to care for the coral husbandry, so they kind of started a project called the, um, the FRTRP, the Florida Reef Tract Rescue Program. And what that does is that we go out and they rescue these corals in front of the disease line. So these corals weren't exposed to the disease yet. These are pre-disease um, corals. And they pulled them out. If these corals were still in the ocean, up to 90% of them would have died, would have, mm. would, have, would have perished. So we kind of went out there and rescued them through the help of NOAA and Fish and Wildlife. We brought them back to here and we're currently holding around 700 of these corals in our care. Wow. Um, hopefully, we're, 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 right now we're a gene bank, so we're holding on them, keeping them safe, keeping them protected from the disease, with the hopes that we can put the parents back on the, on the reef, or even better, we'll put their offspring back on the reef, because mm. we want to breed these corals. These corals, um, there's a lot happening in coral reproduction right now. Uh, the Florida Aquarium kind of leads the way. To our, our neighbors down in uh, Tampa are doing an amazing job with their, with their coral propagation, um, and they're putting corals back on the reef, and we hope to, to simulate that and put these corals back. We, we currently hold the most corals in the project, in this uh, FRTRP, the Florida Reef Track Rescue Project. 
um, we hold the most to them. So we're, we're hoping that, and we've already had some success, and we can talk about that in a minute, but um, we're really hoping to get these guys back. Because that's really the goal of any rescue program, is to get the animals back. And they, these don't belong to SeaWorld, they don't belong to you or me, they belong to really the, the state of Florida, and they, the, the government, you know, they're, they're not our corals, these are the people's corals. I love that. These are the people's corals. <laughs> but remember that acronym that Justin just said, the Florida Reef Track Rescue Project, FRTRP. That's what this is. It's a rescue program of our state's coral reefs. Gabrielle Valencourt tells me about the species of coral that are here and their variety, which leads us to discussing what exactly coral's role in the environment is. We have 18 different species here. Okay. I believe there's 22 in the project. Yeah, there's 22 species that are vulnerable to the stony coral tissue loss disease. So the right. There's disease 19. Effect. 19 in the project and we have 18 of them. And, and overall there's 44 stony corals that live in the Florida Keys. So there's 44 species of corals that are stony, that are hard reef building corals. And 22 of them approximately are susceptible to the disease. So when we say stony, we're talking about things like, I mean, this is one of those. And you say reef building, like they are building those structures that literally, become, yeah, they wow. Build. Um, they take alkalinity and calcium from their environment. They pull it out of the ocean water and they use that to build a, uh, like a sub-skeleton. So they'll, they'll lay this down underneath them. And as they grow, they build the reefs. So they build the protection, what's protecting the state of Florida and the Keys from storms, storm surges, mm -hmm. from hurricanes. Um, they save us uh, a lot of damage each year from, from storm, storm surge uh, like, like the, and um, the wave heights. They break down the wave heights that come sure. in. Uh, so they're helping us in that way. They've also, if you dig a hole in Orlando right now, you'll hit limestone. And limestone is basically old uh, calcium carbonate, which is uh, an old uh, coral skeleton. So they are one of the reasons that the state of Florida is here. So we owe a lot to corals, not just for recreation, for um, storm protection, but also um, hotbeds of biodiversity. They have a lot of, um, we estimate that 25% of all animals that live in the ocean spend a portion of their lives on on a reef track. So they, they grow up either on the reef or they they, uh, they they find, they use the reef as their home. Um, if we would lose the reefs, we would lose 25% of all species in the ocean, which would be a huge biological biological loss. Right, because that's, um, you know, famously like that, that number that people always say where it's like the number, the amount of animals we still don't know exist are all in the ocean. Okay, like yes. we still don't know the, the depth are, of diversity we have below the surface. They are the rainforests of the, uh, of the sea, of the sea, they're the rainforests of the sea. And that's um, the best way I can describe it. Until you go diving on a Florida reef, you, you don't understand um, how much biodiversity and how many animals can be in one place. You literally look around, you see fish, of all sizes everywhere. They're just, I mean, they're, they're, the numbers and the biomass of, of these animals underwater uh, is vastly greater than anything you see on Earth. I mean, you look around here, you see some birds, you see some plants, but underwater, there's just so much more life. There's life that's in the water, life on the surface, life on the bottom. I mean, it's, um, it's a different world. So this next clip is actually from later in the day, but you have to understand the role of coral in the environment is they literally build reefs under them. The coral eats, they, they stick out little tentacles and grab food from the environment. I'll explain that in a minute. And then when they are done consuming, what they consume turns into reef. I, am I using that? Am I using the, Am I understanding correctly that we're like, we're talking about waste, like we put food inside the mouths, and then those mouths spit out that calcium, or is it something under them oh, that is creating? No, it's completely, it's underneath. So their yeah. bases grow. They grow from their the bottom. Yeah. And that is creating the reef. That yeah. is creating the reef. Yeah, it's nothing that comes, nothing that comes out of the mouth. So underneath them, their, their base is where the skeleton's created. So they, they look soft. They look like if you touch them. They, they do be, look soft. And, and, and they are, but it's the, it's the actual here. Gabby's gonna flip one over. You can see 
they, they grew they grew those oh spots. my god so spots, as they get longer as they elongate they grew no new tissue and they and so them. but that that stalk so, is not alive anymore or no. it is so, you can okay. see where the tissue stops so here Gabrielle flips one of the coral and you can see that underneath there's like this hard substance a buildup under that this coral has created. This is all old growth. So at one point it grew up from here. These are all broken, dead. They either died before they came here or maybe they died here. All of this growth, you see this yeah, line yeah, right that here? Line that line is, is pretty is clear. Tissue. This I mean, that literally looks skeleton. like the branch of a tree. The part yep. that you're talking about is old skeleton. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the living coral looks like a soft living tissue, so yes. to speak. But you can see that. That is crystal clear. So they are constantly growing. Like, these guys will grow up. These guys will have a different type and of And that face. is a reef. Like, that is the definition is of a reef. a reef. The reef grows underneath the coral. The reef grows wow. underneath the coral. I don't. Sorry, so sorry. No, I got right in your way. The portion of the coral right now is the is the is the, the top. The very the, just the top. The tissue. top tissue yeah, that is their body. So they deposit. They deposit the calcium sure on the tiles. Yeah. Flip it over. So yeah. See how there's all that. There's not much. Tissue I mean, it's almost like here, a top layer. Out. It's like mm -hmm. the top layer is the organism, yeah. and yeah. then there is just this this. And, and what is that? What is that? That's just dead tissue. Calcium carbonate. Calcium carbonate, yeah, it's half, it's half calcium and alkalinity combining together to form calcium carbonate, which is limestone. So it's literally like the stuff that it is surrounded by and its own they, dead tissue. They are building, they are building their yeah. homes as they grow. As they grow, that they is incredible. Limestone is the very stone beneath the surface of our state, and it is created by coral. The reefs aren't just there, and then coral grows on them. No, the coral grow and they create the reefs from them. Can you even fathom that? that that's, that's like a miracle. Now, let's jump back. This coral is facing a threat. I compare it a little bit to the threat that the Florida Terea are facing. The Florida Terea, which I've discussed many times on this show, are dying from this fungus that killed them before they reach a reproductive age. For a long time, scientists and botanists didn't know about the fungus, so they couldn't really track the disease, what, what was affecting the Terea. But eventually, they did figure out about the fungus and allowed them to learn more about what its effect was on the terea. The stony coral tissue loss disease that the scientists here are combating is similar. I even tell the scientists here about the terea, and they agree with the comparison, except that these scientists, the ones working with this coral, don't yet know what is causing this disease. Just as scientists at one time didn't know about the fungus on the terea, these scientists don't know what is causing this tissue loss. They haven't reached that chapter of the conservation story. I ask about something that I've heard of, something you've probably heard of too, coral bleaching. Is that the same thing? Is it connected to the stony tissue loss? And they explain a little more in depth. What bleaching actually is, is the coral is losing the organism that's creating the color within the creature. That organism is called zooxanthellae. The zooxanthellae produce the color, and if something like stony coral tissue loss disease affects the coral, that could create an environment where the zooxanthellae will not want to be. They, they don't want to be in the coral if there's something threatening the coral's life. So bleaching is really like a symptom of the disease. The zooxanthellae, the color, fleeing from the coral itself. It's not an individual disease, it's a symptom. I also said a word back there that you've probably never heard before. It was a word that I had not heard of before I visited the lab. It is zooxanthellae. If you think you know how to spell that word, you are dead wrong. Zooxanthellae is spelled Z-O-O-X-A-N-T-H-E 
L-L-A-E, Zosentheli. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, one of the partners on this coral project, describes Zosentheli as the following, quote, Most reef-building corals contain photosynthetic algae, called Zosentheli, that live in their tissues. The corals and algae have a mutualistic relationship. The coral provides the algae with a protected environment and compounds they need for photosynthesis. In return, the algae produce oxygen and help the coral to remove wastes, end quote. These guys are photosynthetic. All these corals are photosynthetic, so the the light that's hitting these corals, they're, they're animals, but they have plant cells inside them. So they, they have a form of symbiosis and the corals provide the plants with a place for their algae, the algae to stay. And the plants provide the corals with energy. So it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. And that's kind of what gives the corals colors. That's another, that's another layer to this entire project. So the plants are a separate species of plant or are they part of the species it's of a, the coral? It's a dinoflagellate called zooxanthellae. It's a, yeah, it's so a, it's that's, a that, that's my word. Got it. Okay, I remember this now. Okay, because I was about to be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so the zooxanthellae is, in the, is in, the, in the plant cell. So it's living inside, or so, sorry, the zooxanthellae is in the coral cell. So it's living inside the coral. The coral provides the plant with a place to live. So it's a safe place for the plant, the zooxanthellae tissue to grow, algae to grow. And the, and the zooxanthellae provides the coral with energy. Basically, it's photosynthesizing, producing sugars and carbohydrates, which is giving the coral in exchange for a place to stay. So all the corals that, um, there's a very few species that are non-photosynthetic, but all the species we have here actually need this high intensity yeah. quality light. It's not just so we can see them and they feel comfortable, they're actually producing energy. So they're, they're eating, we're feeding them food, but they're also producing energy and sugars and, and carbohydrates from wow. the zooxanthellae that is, that's why when you go to a reef, you only find reefs in the first 100 feet of water. Once yeah. you go diving, there's very few deep water reefs. You they they need water, the water. They need the light. Yeah, you, like, you don't see the, uh, the colors, the corals that are down below 80 feet. Most of those corals are like white, just because all they're doing, they're just feeding on fish that swim by. They're feeding on plankton, fish, so, so plankton that comes by and catch. They're, um, uh, they're not autotrophic. These guys are partially autotrophic. These, these produce their own food and catch food. Wow. Where the, the deep water corals just catch their own food. Literally, this algae does photosynthesis and provides its products, quote, glucose, glycerol, and amino acids, end quote. And the coral then turns those products into the calcium carbonate, the limestone that makes up the reefs. I, I said it already. Corals are miraculous. That is unbelievable. The things that they can create with other animals they, they could create entire structures from their bodies that is unbelievable they are incredible creatures so let's continue to talk a little bit about that this disease that's affecting them but keep in mind these creatures are unbelievably important and fascinating and and we're just getting started Stony coral tissue loss Beautiful. disease also happens like very rapidly sure. in the coral. Like you could have a coral that's been there for hundreds of years and then the, the disease comes along and it's wiped out in a matter of weeks. Wow. And they can like, see it. They can see it moving mm -hmm. across the reef. Yeah. This isn't something that popped up everywhere at one time. Mm. It started in Miami, Miami-Dade County and it slowly mm -hmm. moved a little bit north but mostly south throughout the Florida Keys. Um, and you can track it year by year across each reef. It's also spread through the Caribbean so there's a lot of other places that it's affected but um, like I said, it's in 90% of the corals, it's really the main story that once it's infected, it is die from the disease. Yeah. They have had some luck with antibiotic pastes. If a diver can go down and put an antibiotic paste on the coral before it succumbs to the disease, um, that can sometimes prevent the disease from, from continuing, but um, you can imagine, there's you know, millions of corals in the keys, and, mm. and for a diver to go down and protect everyone with antibiotic yeah. paste, that it's kind of uh, not realistic.
Where did this come from? Where did this disease begin? That's what, the big mystery. We don't know. <laughs> they don't know if it's, a, if it's a bacteria. They don't know if it's a virus. Um, some people think that it's, it's, it's from like a multitude of, um, of, of factors, like it might be a due to uh, uh, you know, pollution, um, nitrate, phosphate runoff, like, the, like nutrients in the water, sure. additional nutrients in the water, warming oceans, like you think the temperature has you know, possibly something to do with it. And maybe all these stressors just stress the coral enough that it's susceptible to the disease. So they don't they don't think it's like one factor. Like they haven't isolated a, a virus that's definitely causing this disease or bacteria. They think it may be due to a lot of factors that are kind of additive and, and stressing. Sure. I would hope that they would find something that we could treat or work against in a fight. Um, it just seems like with this this uh, this disease, they've done so much research now and they've looked at it from so many different angles and they can't find the exact cause of it. Wow. So they're really thinking it's just a combination of a lot of different stressors causing, you know, uh, what we see here as called stony coral tissue loss disease. But um, yeah, I, I, that would be amazing if they could find like this is the cause. It's a bacteria. This is a treatment for it, and we could treat it. Sure. Sure. We know what we we're fighting there. Because right now, with this disease, it's just such it's, it's an enigma. We don't know what, what what's causing it. We don't know what's how to fight it. Um, we know we can stop it with pasting. By pasting, we, we treat it. You know, we don't have any here, luckily, because it's all you know. These are quarantined. These are the safe specimen. But um, yeah, the people that are working in the front lines, they really would love to have some sort of direction. And like, this is the this is the cure. This is how we fix it. Right. And and know what how to fight it too, because. Um, eventually we want to put these corals back in the ocean and right now if there's if they're you know if the temperatures are warming we have all this uh, nutrient runoff we've got this pollution that's in the, in the system that I don't know if it's a if it's going to return to a safe enough place to put the corals back into the wild right when was it when when was it first noticed when was this first in spotted 2014 2014 good gracious yeah, that's so, recent so you're talking about 60 70 years and this disease eight years like third grade so you know oh my goodness okay so a quick recap before we go forward these coral create reefs they're very diverse and the ones here in this facility are from florida's waters they have been taken from their native habitat in order to quarantine them from a mysterious illness called stony coral tissue loss disease. It's a rapidly spreading disease without a known cause, and in order to protect the future survival of these creatures, several groups have banded together to put them in these tanks and other tanks in other facilities, and these scientists have created the ideal conditions for them to survive. But how did they get here in the first place? When did this start? When did this project start? Um, it started uh, in 2019. Okay. That's when AZA came to us and said, we have a problem with the, with the corals that are dying. They knew that the, the aquariums had like the husbandry knowledge to hopefully take care of other species of corals, and they wanted to see if we could extend that to the Florida corals, you know, right. to, rescue, to rescue these corals. Um, they're kind of the overarching umbrella organization. They're the ones that came to us and said, we're gonna organize you and a lot of other zoos and aquariums who wanna be a participant in this project to rescue these corals. And we're gonna send these corals to all these other institutions and they're gonna hold them. Some are gonna hold more than others. We're actually the largest, we're the largest one of the participants. So we have the right. most corals. But a lot of other corals have their corals on display. So the guests can come sure. and see through a window or through a glass pane, and they can see what Florida corals are. They can like connect with Florida corals, see how beautiful they are, how colorful they are, and hopefully they want to save them, you know, change, right. make a change. Because people kind of have an out-of-sight, out-of-mind. Yeah, being able to know. interact with stuff, being able to see stuff physically with your eyes makes you care about it in a different way. Exactly. And, that's yeah. where, and that's where the, the zoos and aquariums come in. So we really hope to get the word out there through people seeing these corals and, uh, and, and hoping that they... Uh, they can, they can rescue the reefs. 
The crew here mentioned something that we kept coming back to in our conversation. We've been studying coral for generations, but nobody had ever attempted to do the things that they're doing here. Keeping these coral in quarantine with enough specimens to maintain biological diversity, creating an environment similar to the ones they encounter in the wild, and, spoiler for later in this episode, creating an environment that they feel safe enough in to reproduce? They told me no one had ever done something like this before. They are creating scientific procedure that has never been done before. This is brand new scientific procedure that has been being done in here for the first time ever. And there I was witnessing it. I mean, I'm just astounded by what you said that that there was no book on this. I mean, we the fact that it was starting from zero, the fact that you guys are basically opening a blank document and going, okay, we want to be able to achieve this, so we're going to figure out how to do it with information at our disposal, past techniques, but nobody's ever done this thing with these creatures in this environment. I mean, that's just it's amazing. All, it just says so much for the biologists to take care of these corals, because these corals literally were collected by NOAA and Fish and Wildlife. They were brought from the from the reef into our care in a, in a matter of a few days. That's and amazing. they went from completely natural lighting, natural seawater, to 100% un, you know, synthetic seawater and, and uh, ink, you know, LED lighting. So they completely, their world completely changed. It went from 50 feet of water depth down to a foot of water depth. Sure. And, and um, we, we had, I mean, after the first few months, we really had like almost 100% success rate with having these corals adapt. That's and incredible. That's, that's that's amazing with um, an, an animal that you can't talk to. And these right. corals, you can't, you can't talk to them and ask them what's wrong. When they, right. when they start to bleach, you, you don't know. And that's why we have the veterinarians, you have the, the care. This team is much bigger than just these three. They have many other helpers, including on this team, including veterinarians that care for the coral if they notice something wrong, if, if the coral needs medical attention. And they aren't the only people who attend this facility. They have other people a part of their team that were not there that day, but are very much a part of the active effort of keeping these coral alive and happy. Um, and we have the amazing water quality testing that we have here. We have, um, we currently test, I think around 10 parameters that we check. There's four or five we check daily, like uh, the temperature, salinity, pH, alkalinity, calcium, but there's also ones like nitrate, phosphate, magnesium, strontium. Um, one of those parameters, if it's off by a little bit, can kill, can, can decimate a coral, can make the coral sick, sure. unhealthy. So it's not just putting these animals in, in, in water and giving them some light and a little bit of food and watching them grow. This isn't a sit around and wait project. This is an everyday effort, and these folks are putting in the work every day. This is not a project that has an obvious solution, uh, an obvious end goal. This is a project for far down the line. The project is not like something that I see fixing the coral reefs in, in a year. You know, this is yeah. maybe uh, a generation. This is generational. This might be our kids that see yeah. a, an improvement to the reefs. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be um, me personally. But I think we, you know, I, I think there's a lot of oper opportunity, a lot of optimism out there amongst the partners. And I think what's it's definitely something that's gonna it's gonna be ramped up and work. Right. The reason we are are taking these coral and putting them here and quarantining them and putting them in this situation is it both to protect them from this disease and to help solve whatever is causing it, or one or the other? Both. Both. both yeah. It is both those things. It is both to protect these specimens, these yeah. species, from being sick from this disease, and also to attempt to figure out what is wrong that is causing this. Okay. Is there any part of that that I'm missing in terms no, of the end goal? That's exactly right. Originally, we were we were a gene bank. We were we, we were collecting these corals from the wild to pre preserve their genetics. We knew they were dying in the in the ocean, so they just wanted to get them out of the ocean, get the remove the, the stress, remove the disease, 
um, keep their genetics in, in our care safely. So yeah. we, we knew that if these, which there are species in the Caribbean right now that we've lost, Dendrogyra is a pillar coral and they're basically functionally extinct now. Wow. They're, not, they're not in the ocean anymore um, reproducing. So um, these corals, you wanted to get to them before they got to that point. Um, and that was the first, the first goal of this project, was to act as a gene bank. And we've shown that we can do that. We've got the 700 corals in. Two years later, we have this basically the same amount of coral. It, it's grown. It's done great. The second part of the project is to reproduce the corals. And that's really what the project's looking at now. Um, the Florida Aquarium, uh, Kerry O'Neill down there, has done an amazing job. They're kind of the pioneers of, of, of coral reproduction. And right now, they're working with a lot of the species we have here in the same project. And they're getting success with responding to corals. They're getting success with um, having larvae, settling the larvae growing the larvae to a certain size that they can put them back. In fact, last week, I think they put... They just um, outplanted 560 corals back out onto the reef, and they were able Which, to replant goodness. these mangs for the first time. So these guys are going back out to the reef for the first time. Wow! So now the project is, is going to expand on that. Now the project is looking at having all those AZAZs and aquariums find a role inside the project where they can either be a throw-out facility, a propagation facility, a settling facility, um, and they can... They can use their, their knowledge and their skills to help the reef. They, they, right. can, they can do one of those steps, or all of those steps, to, to put these corals back in the reef. And that's, that's the next part of the project. So we've proven we can hold them, the genetic, the genetic things is stable, we, we can keep them in our care uh, for a long time, and they grow, and they do well, yeah. and we're showing that we can reproduce them now, and that's the, that's the next step. Did you hear the last thing that Justin said there? If the conditions are right, if the water is right, if everything in these tanks is working the way that it is supposed to be working, then what follows is the coral is in an environment where they feel comfortable reproducing. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. They have created a system. They've created an environment where the coral here in this lab are doing something unbelievable. They're making babies. Anybody who knows about animals in captivity knows that being able to reproduce, for the animals to reproduce while they're under quarantine, while they're under protection, to be safe from this disease, that has repercussions, that has ramifications that we won't even know until years from now. It is a huge step, and we're going to talk all about that next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so excited for this week and next week. I love getting to talk about Florida's nature. I really, really do. And getting to tell these stories, man, it is such a treat to get to talk about scientists and work like this. I, I, I felt like a little kid the entire interview, just enjoying it. So thank you to Michelle Ashton for arranging this interview. And thank you to Justin, Gabrielle, and Midori for chatting with me. You will hear lots more from them next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It means a lot to me, and it helps this show grow. You can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. You can reach out to me and share the show there. You can also send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I'm really looking for an episode where I can use some listener-suggested topics, something little or interesting that you want to hear the show cover, so reach out to me, and we'll talk about it there. All right, that is it for me this week. Next week, you will be hearing the second part of our discussion of this amazing lab and our Florida coral. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, and as always, 
drink more water. Happy August. I am so excited for the next month of episodes ahead of us. See you next Monday. Thank you.